0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.
1: It was announced at the beginning of the year that the cost of childcare for many parents in Ireland has been cut by an average of 25% thanks to funding that was secured in the budget for 2023. High childcare costs continue to be a major talking point among parents and among politicians and of course the state has long been called upon to do something about it and it has partly done something about it. David Quinn, columnist with the Sunday Times and head of the Iona Institute, believes, however, that there's too much focus on cutting childcare costs in order to encourage parents to work rather than giving more financial consideration to those who would prefer to stay at home. And uh, David joins me now. David, good morning. Good morning. We're also joined by Laura Erskine, a parenting expert and herself a mother of uh, three. Uh, Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Now, uh, David, you've been writing about this, so um, make your argument as to to why the state is not treating all parents with the same generosity.
0: Yeah, so each time the government um, comes along and makes a daycare announcement and says we're going to further subsidise the cost of daycare, the thought that always goes through my head is why is it only subsidising one choice that parents might want to make about the care of their children? And uh, opinion polls on this matter... Um, constantly show that daycare is the ideal choice of only about a quarter of parents. Um, so many have no choice, obviously, but to put their children into daycare because they both need to work all day and they shouldn't have to go somewhere and they don't have a childminder, I don't have a family member who can do it. But in an ideal world, only about a quarter of parents say, this is my ideal choice, put my children into daycare. And most of the rest of the parents either want a childminder in the house or a family member, for example, granny or granddad to do that and the government seems to be going straight over the heads of those parents and not addressing them at all. So the underlying assumption of government policy is that all parents want to put their children into daycare all week and so I think therefore that um, government daycare policy is actually discriminating against the parents who don't want that as their number one choice and government policy Mm. should be fairer in this regard. Okay, now, uh,
1: I don't have the numbers in front of me, but presumably uh, two parents working is the norm in so many cases Mm. because they need to fund Mm. the mortgage. Mm. And even if you know, what they're spending on daycare is equal to uh, the money that they're earning initially. Uh, as time passes, you know, you know th- those kids will be in proper school. So the daycare costs will diminish and their prog- career has continued to progress. Mm. They're making more money and then their quids in eventually after they get over the childcare hump. Um but they need to work to fund the mortgage.
0: Yeah, I mean, see, yes, of course. Um, But daycare, again, is not the only option for those parents and it's not even the preferred option for those parents. Uh, So some of those parents will use a childminder. And again, some of them will use family members. And there's been CSO data about this. um, So only a minority of parents actually do use daycare who have young children. They use other options. And the government, again, seems to be completely blind... To those parents, it's a bit mysterious, really, why it would be, because those parents are working. Uh, I mean, the government—you can understand why the government is kind of an ambition to talk to turn as many people as it can into taxpayers, because that obviously helps to pay for state services. But why should the government care whether parents are using a childminder at home or using a family member, as distinct from daycare? So that's a bit strange to me. Uh, so long as as many people as possible are working, although, mind you. Um, Why should it be necessarily um, a government policy to have everybody working if there's a significant cohort of parents, would actually prefer to look after their children at home and quit the workplace maybe for a few years. Because what's quite common as well for parents is um, they try to kind of mix and match with work. When the children are very young, one or other might drop down to part-time work or quit work entirely for a few years and then go back into the workplace when the children have reached school. And those parents are completely overlooked, the parents who actually would like to mind their children Mm -hmm. at home. okay Laura, what say you?
2: Uh, My goodness. Uh, well, I think there's a there's a couple of points there. Um, David is talking about comparing daycare to children being minded in the home by gra- grandparents. I don't think that uh, that you can compare the two. To be honest, I think what is more equitable is the the other point he made, which is uh, daycare, the choice for daycare externally provided by a professional childcare institution or facility, versus daycare at home, and um, that where there is a child minder coming into the home to allow both parents. To work outside of the home and, you know, contribute to the exchequer yeah. and pay tax. And I definitely agree with him on the point that we should, there should definitely be more um, tax subsidies for parents to choose the appropriate type of childcare for their needs. Uh, and that is not always daycare. I don't, however, think that there should be increased tax subsidies to uh, for parents who are choosing to stay at home and who are not working and we all get the child benefit for that and if as david's article in sunday Times said that we were to universally increase the child benefit to give extra income to those who are staying at home to care for their children, I think that's a universal benefit that will benefit those who are not paying tax. And And I suppose the tax subsidy should really be going towards for childcare for those who are who are out working. Um, he makes a very valid so, point So there. just to
1: clarify, if you're a taxpayer, um, if you could offset some of that tax against the money you're spending on childcare, that would be fair because it's targeting people who are actually contributing to the economy. Is that it?
2: Absolutely, yes. Um, And at the moment, by increasing the recent announcements that we were increasing the hourly subsidy rate for childcare um, within the the crash facility, um, you know, a whole area, then you're really um you're biasing those who are putting their children within those facilities or who even have access to those okay. facilities. And, and that's a big difficulty at the moment because we, as we know during COVID a lot of facilities closed down so not everyone has access to those facilities so they therefore they can't benefit from the subsidy and similarly people work shift work and so those who where a, a facility only operates from 8 mm. in the morning until 5 in the So, so do evening, you believe that that, that
1: tax credit should also apply to people who were employing a childminder in the home.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and at the moment, you can, in a very roundabout way, apply for that that tax credit if you are employing somebody in the home. But that person needs to be registered with the, the revenue as being a professional childcare worker. Um, and it's a very onerous procedure. They also need to be uh, qualified and registered on the TUSLA system. And invariably, people who are employing childcare providers who are coming into the home do so on a very informal basis. And this is where there's a a major discrepancy and I suppose it's why the government have decided yeah. only to offer this subsidy to the child care well, facilities. I, I'm, I'm just
1: wondering, Laura, uh, to be practical about this, if you qualify for a subsidy because you're employing childminder X, um, the state is not going to just give carte blanche to uh, you claiming that you're paying X without knowing who X is, are they paying PRSI, are they paying tax uh, and so on and so forth. They're not just going to write a blank cheque to... Uh, you know, someone who claims to be paying childcare when, in fact, they might not be.
2: Well, th- this is true, and I think that we need to make that a less onerous procedure, and um, so that people aren't afraid to register with the revenue as as earning. Because we all know that you can earn up to to twelve or fourteen thousand a year, um, you know without paying tax. Uh, but specifically within the childcare and um, sector, um, and providing private childcare. So, if it was less onerous in terms of having to be guard vetted, having to register with Tusla, having to to register revenue, or even that that parents might. Somehow have to provide some sort of pay slip to their to their okay, childcare at but, but uh, you, home.
1: Your uh, attitude is: if, for example, someone just chooses to stay at home to mind their own kids, they they get nothing.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what the, that's their, their choice and their right to do. So I think that the tax credits should be for those who are paying tax. Um, and similarly, you know, that person would be transferring their own tax, tax credits to their other um, half who is out working if they're married. And, and so then they would David. be jointly assessed.
0: Um, It does seem just like a dubious proposition that um, uh, parents who choose to mind their kids at home should receive no help from the state apart from child benefit. Um, As it is, tax individualisation heavily disadvantages one income married couples compared with two income married couples. They pay far more in tax on equivalent income. So um, I think it's a couple on 60K versus a, um, um, a one income couple on 60K. And there's about a 5,000 tax differential between them. So the per- so the couple who choose to have one parent at home is already paying uh, far more in tax uh, than the couple were both about to work. Now, there's arguments um, back and forth on that issue, but we have to face the fact that tax individualisation effectively penalises the one-income married couples compared to a double-income married couples. So we have that differential already. And, for- and then for everybody but the stay-at-home parent to be receiving help from the state... Uh, seems to be extremely unfair. And like 20 years ago, there was a huge row in this country when tax individualization was first passed by the then finance minister, Charlie McCreevy And people could see it was kind of patently unfair to treat those two families so differently. And then the whole thing kind of died away. This kind of home carers allowance was brought in, a home carers credit. It's not very big. Uh, but once that SOP was given... Uh, the whole issue kind of died. And I think one of the reasons it died is because those parents who stay at home, they have no lobby groups on their behalf. Uh, there's nobody like the National Women's Council lobbying uh, lobbying on their behalf. Obviously, daycare providers lobby on their own behalf, which is fair enough. Uh, but the stay-at-home mothers, because they are at home, they're not out there getting organised. So they're uh, an almost invisible presence in society Uh, And I think somebody's got to argue a little bit on their behalf. Um, And I think the fairest way to do this, by the way, is to go back to what the government was doing only a few years ago. They had an early childcare supplement that went uh, to for children under six, that is preschool, and then parents could spend it as they please on whatever their childcare option was, including staying at home.
2: I agree Nora? with you, David, on that. Uh, and, and actually, you know, I mean, in, in respect to that early childcare supplement, uh, and I think the biggest failing of the government so far in looking at the whole issue of childcare is that we're really only looking at preschool. We're only looking at not to, to to four or to three. And then they move into the ECI scheme um, between three and five. But once they move into into uh, primary school, we have a massive gap when it comes to childcare. There are no subsidised after school care facilities for parents to avail of from junior infants right up to sixth class and that they are eight years in primary school where parents need to employ other means of childcare. There is no formal childcare facility that they can use, or very, very few. Um, and and equally then the children don't want to go to those facilities once they reach a certain age, once they get beyond the junior and senior infant years. They want to be going to the ballet class and the Irish dancing and playing hockey and doing all of those things, going on play dates. And so this is where the parents make decisions, or well they feel forced almost into making the decisions that if they want to give their child every opportunity to grow and develop within the primary school um, years, is that one of the parents has to has to either stay at home or has to work part time so that they're available to pick up their children after school, to provide their children with those extracurricular um, activities uh, and to be able to ferry them here, there and yonder Uh, and paying somebody privately to do that is, is exorbitant it's exorbitantly expensive.
0: So so this kind of reinforces the point that uh, which I was making at the beginning that the government is over favouring daycare um, over everything else Um, and you see when the government announces some new daycare measure um, obviously the der- the daycare providers say this is very welcome and then you know journalists will go and they'll interview parents at the gates of these daycare centres and they'll say this is very welcome so it gives the impression this is what everybody wants. But again, these parents who are at home are invisible. Nobody knows where to find them. They're not going to call to their door and they don't know who they are anyway. So they're not seen. And so it kind of looks like the government's policy is universal support, which is in fact not the case. And the whole thing becomes kind of self-reinforcing. And I just think there needs to be a much wider debate about the kind of um, childcare that we actually want the uh, um, different choices that parents want to make in this regard and the government needs to take that into account and I think all debates need to take it into account as well. I mean, again, something like the National Women's Council, they don't tend to say anything in favour of parents who don't want to use daycare and certainly almost nothing that I've seen in favour of parents who would like to look after their kids at home for a few years. I mean, that voice is just so incredibly neglected in society. The economy gets completely prioritised, the workplace the commercial sphere over the home and it just seems there's almost nobody arguing in favour of parents who would actually like to mind their children at home for a few years.
1: Final words to you, Laura?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, we've we've come full circle almost on this and that myself and David agree on some points. However, we do need to be fair about this. There are some, a proportion of society who um, are earning enough and can afford to stay at home and want to stay at home and, and they you know, we shouldn't be diverting valuable revenue funds the to, to support those in the affluent Yeah, arena. but it shouldn't yeah. be a
0: choice just for them, though. I mean, that, 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 that's what's happened. Looking after children at home has become something that's available only to the affluent. How did that happen?
2: Yes, uh, I I agree. I think there there definitely needs to be to be further debate mm-hmm. on this, and I, and I do agree that that daycare is is not a one size fits all. Certainly, for both from a you know a f- childcare facility viewpoint, but also from um, only restricting those very early years. And there is a you know we've seen with COVID, you've got children in primary school, and indeed in the early years of secondary school who actually need their parents to be at home, to be emotionally and physically present with them, to help them with homework, to help them with navigation those difficult years post COVID we've seen anxiety go through the roof we heard all about the CAMS reports the other day there are some parents who need to be at home with their parents to support their children in their growth and development and those parents should indeed be supported
1: right. well we have opened a a huge debate based on what's coming in on my text screen I'll bring those comments to you a little later on but David Quinn Sunday Times columnist head of the Iona Institute and Laura Erskine parenting expert mother of three uh, thank you both very much for uh, joining us